Hello, hello. This is Reality of Reality, and I'm Aliza Rosen, a longtime TV producer and development executive. Every week on the podcast, I talk to interesting people in all aspects of unscripted content. Today on the podcast, Sasha Alpert. Sasha is a rare gem in the business because she does two very different jobs at the same company. And that company is Buna Murray, who, by the way, are considered the pioneers of reality television. Sasha is not only in charge of casting there, but she also started their documentary division more than 10 years ago. She's produced award-winning films like Valentine Road and Autism the Musical, and her latest doc called They Call Us Monsters is now streaming on Netflix. Wearing her other hat, Sasha's also cast some of the most well-known shows in the history of our industry, and I loved talking to her about her illustrious career. Hi, Sasha. Hi, how are you? Good. Thanks for being here. Great to be here. I always start by saying how we've met, and we, we have just met. Yes. But you were recommended to me by Eddie Schmidt, who I worked with and had on the podcast. And when we talked about one of his films, your name came up and we sort of offlined about you. I'm always looking for amazing women specifically because for some reason my ratio of men to women is too heavily male for my taste. (laughs) (laughs) So I I love Eddie. I've known Eddie for a while um, before we worked together. He, you know, because he was First of all, he's very funny, so he was always sort of emceeing things, and also I, um, he, he always had interesting projects that he was pitching to me, and finally he had a project that was right up our alley, and we worked on it together. Which yeah, was Valentine Road. Valentine Road. So you sort of <laughs> combine these two what would seem to be very disparate, you know, yes. entities in our business. You've been the head of casting for. Buna Murray, which is the sort of the pioneer of reality television with the real world and, of course, a million other hits since then, but also have started and run their documentary division. So should we start with casting? Where did it start for you? Give us it started, the beginning. It started before Buna Murray. Okay. Um, Take us back. <laughs> way back. Um, I, I really was interested in documentaries, and I was interested in documentaries for because I wanted to change the world, you know, like when I was 22. Um, and, uh, I started out in New York working in nonfiction and documentaries for a number of years. And then, you know, more sort of PBS type things. Okay. And then when I moved to LA, I needed to, I had just gotten married and just gotten pregnant. Okay. And I needed to find something that I wasn't going to travel to Russia or wherever. <laughs> right. Um, and that where I could sort of be stateside. And Mary Alice Bunham called me up, and she I had been doing nonfiction stuff for various MTV magazine shows, and she got my name from someone, and she asked if I was interested in directing this show called The Real World, and I. Uh, I and they were definitely and I remember this they were looking for a woman and I had just had a baby so I said no there's no way I can go to Miami and at this moment so but I said if you get some work you know what you're doing sounds really interesting to me this thing you're this not weird nonfiction uh, or fiction I'm not sure what it is right <laughs> and you know let me know if you have some job stateside and so she called me a few months later, and she w- was looking for someone to be what was called the supervising story editor. And to make a long story short, I got that job, and I did it for a season. And it, I, uh, at the end of that, she asked if I wanted to come back next season, and I really 
did not like that job. I mean, I loved working at Bunamurray, but I'm a very fidgety person and sitting still in a room and writing about something that's already happened that I don't have any control over except to form it into a 22-minute episode. At that point, they were 22 minutes. Right. And P.S., when I was hired for that job, I had never heard the word act out. Oh, so that's funny. That's <laughs> and I was like, "Do what season? Do you remember what season?" Yeah, the I think it was season five. It was the Miami season. Okay, I five just had six. quick side note. I just had Lara Spots on. Do you know Lara? Yeah, and she her first job was casting on The Real World. So I don't know if you guys overlapped. I don't think we did. Okay, actually, but um, she was season three. I yeah, think she was pre me. Okay, she wow. was before me. So, uh, so I. I did that first season, and then Mary Alice Bunham said, well, would you like to cast the show? And I thought, well, I've never cast anything in my life, but that sounds fun. Yeah. Um, you know, and and I also had this weird problem with writing, which is that I would dream every night about the kids on the show <laughs> who were close in age, like close enough in age to me that it was, you know, I, very relatable. Yeah. And and I and I kind of found myself resenting that they were in my head. So that was another reason why I felt like I had to cast instead. That's um, hilarious. And, and so the other the thing about casting, the, the just to go back, they yeah. were looking for people at that point for all those jobs who had documentary experience because there weren't people that had reality experience. Right. It didn't so exist. Were, right. So there were people that had fiction experience and scripted experience and people, the non-scripted was documentaries or news magazines. That's so interesting. Why so, a woman? Why did they specifically want a woman? I don't remember. Okay. I, I Maybe there was, maybe it was a heavily female Something about the cast, okay. maybe. Okay. Maybe they had all men directors except me. Because, you know, there's a bunch of directors on the show. Sure. It's not just, you know, you right. know how it works. Yes, right. So <laughs> they probably had a bunch of men, and they okay. thought, oh, maybe they could have a woman, too. So so those were the days when VHS is, you are right, coming through how many? Well, then when I started casting, yeah. um, you know, every night we'd all bring home a bin of VHS tapes and pop them in. Yeah. And my children were raised watching me. Now, they must have an amazing eye for cast, right? They probably watched a million people come in and out. You know, my son just said, oh, you're going to watch your boring tapes. And he would walk <laughs> away. My daughter has zero interest in the business. So, How old are they? My daughter is now 22. Wow. And my son is 19. Okay, so they're like yeah. semi-adults. Yeah, they're kind of adults. <laughs> I'm kind of like free. Yeah. So... Um, but, you know, actually, I, I, I feel that way, too. I feel right. like I can expand and do more things. Yeah. Um, uh, but anyway, so I, I had always done documentaries, right? And then I came to Buena Marie and did casting. And I, and I what I used to do was I'd cast for a while. I'd cast a show. And remember, reality at that point, and it wasn't even that long ago, was like seasonal work. Right, 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 exactly. <laughs> it wasn't a real job. So were you on staff or was it Not all? Not in the beginning. Okay. No, I was, I would, no, in fact, almost nobody was on right. staff. It's there were like the three or four people on staff, you know? And um, it felt like a mom and pop kind of place with John and Mary Ellis. And, yeah. Um, they were involved in everything. They'd go on the road. Wow. They'd be in casting sessions. They'd have their, you know, they'd be very involved because they didn't have, they weren't that many shows there then. Were and that, they sort of mentors to you? Oh, or completely. Yeah. Both of them in different ways. I'd love to hear a little bit about them just because they are sort of, you know, I mean, I'd love to have Jonathan on the show, on the podcast at some point, but in what ways were they mentors? Well, first of all, Mary Ellis 
was a force to be reckoned with. She had very strong opinions and very good eye. And she had come from like the opposite place that I had come from. I'd come from like heady (laughs) documentaries and she'd come from soap operas. Oh, really? So, you know, she was a a really, um, really had, everything was about story, story, story. And that is key. It is really, really important. And and, um, she was also an incredibly hard worker. They're both incredibly hard worker. John is, you know, the very focused, very thorough, fantastic mentor, and really the kindest person. Love hearing that. Generous, yeah. kind, thoughtful person. So, like, I obviously I, I really liked working there. I mean, also it was a bunch of young people. And, right. In Van Nuys. And, um, <laughs> You've since upgraded. <laughs> yes, just recently, though. Yeah. Um, and um, and so I would leave and go do a documentary, and then I would come back and do casting. Oh, or, interesting. But, like, at that point, we all did everything. Like, I, I, you know, produced casting specials and directed when occasionally. And, okay. You know. Did you like being in the field? I don't love being in the field. <laughs> Uh, I don't, I don't, I like being in the field for short amounts of time, but like for 10 weeks and also, you know, being a mother, it's tough. That's a a real issue. It is. You know, that's real. Yes. Um, You don't find these days many showrunners that are, mm -hmm. that have kids. I mean, female showrunners that have kids because it just is too much. Yeah. Unless you can do something in your hometown, which is really hard. And so, but I liked some of it, Yeah, you know, and some of it. But I, what I like the most is casting. And part of that is because I love talking to people. Yeah. I love asking people personal questions. And I've always been the person, all my friends knew me as that person, like, oh, you want to find out, like, what's going on with so-and-so, like, and what they really feel about blah, 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 send Sasha. You're the woman, I always say this about myself, you're the woman who can go to the ladies' room and come out with someone's life story five minutes later. Well, there's that, which gets, <laughs> get, you know, I mean, I did, that happens to me still on airplanes. <laughs> right. um, I sat next to uh, an actress recently Ooh. who told me her entire life story. But uh, the, the but, but it was more the getting under the people, getting under people's skin and how they tick. tick yeah. yeah, and also why they make the choices they make. Like, I find that fascinating mm-hmm. still, every day. I, I still love doing interviews, you know. And are you still casting for The Real World? Yeah. It's been how many years since it started? Well, it started, started in 92. 92. Was New York. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. So you, so I have a question. Okay, so especially, it's such a great example of The Real World, right? Because when it started, and actually I know Kevin Powell, who was on the first season in yeah. New York, um, you know, they had no idea, right? So it was sort of this very pure, innocent, sort of like Survivor season one, sort of like a lot of these hit shows where, you know, you, you're top chef, you know, any where, where you look back and you think, God, they didn't really understand what the hell was happening or that anyone would be watching or that it was really a game. And the real world especially, you know, I don't remember sort of what season it kind of turned in terms of the self, I don't know if self-awareness, you ever use that word with reality, but in terms of, kind of knowing how it all goes, 
How did you watch that evolution from when you started casting over the years in terms of sort of like, okay, I know what's maybe I think is going to get me on the show? That's a really good question. And it's not just what will get me on the show. It's a it's a change that I've seen from people being open about who they are to because of, first of all, it started out, and I still remember this, with something called online journaling that people used to do, which was pre-Facebook. Hmm. And then where people would really talk about their deepest thoughts and reveal them, huh. right? That it was like a couple of years, and it was like, I can't believe people are doing this. Yeah. And then comes Facebook, and then comes we don't have any privacy anymore. <laughs> so there used to be a sense of like, you really had to find out if these people were willing to bear all on TV. And you still have to make sure that they're being honest with you. Because a lot of times people are in a relationship and they know they that we want right. them single. So right. they tell us that they're single. Can you always single. tell no. when they're lying? No. You can't? <laughs> yeah. You wish you I could mean, say I mean, I wish yes. I could say. Yeah. But you suspect and you yeah. dig and you dig. but And sometimes it'll... You always, I mean, you know, it's like what um, cops talk about when they right, criminal profiling. Yeah, well, you can tell because people will sometimes slip yeah. and say something, yeah. and then you're like, wait a minute, let me just go into yeah, that hole that right. you just opened. But I love that. Like, I love pe- talking to people and going into the hole. And uh, not all shows require that. Right. I mean, you know, a dating show does not require you to know that much about a person. <laughs> right. But the shows that you really need to know about. The, about people. I mean, some of the really exciting shows that we've done recently is a show called Born This Way. Yeah. Uh, congratulations. So that, My friend Drew Tappen. I'll give him props. Okay. Yeah. Drew is one of my favorite people and he really fought for that. And what a beautiful show. Congratulations. Yeah. So what was that like? That's well, a great see, now think about casting about. something yeah. like that. For you call up well, a family. Tell people about it in case they okay, don't know. Okay. So, yeah. so Born This Way, which won last Yay. year's Emmy, um, is it show about a group of young people with Down syndrome and their families. Mm-hmm. So they're young, they're, they're adults, though. So young adults with Down syndrome and their families. Because most, of, you know, if you have Down syndrome, you need a support system and right. you have a family. So we included those stories. So you can imagine, the, you know, call, trying to get in an entree into the Down syndrome community to get them to trust you, to say, we want to put your family on TV, 90% of the time it was like, just no. Yeah. Like, we've, we have fought so hard to get to the place where we get the services we need. Right. And Were they worried about being exploited? Was that the main concern? Very much worried about being exploited. Yeah. Understanding, right. you know. Did you have... Um, so was this even in the sizzle pro? Like, did you have something to show them to show, like, we're doing a doc, a beautiful doc show. We're not going to do some, you know, exploitive type show. Well, <laughs> yes and no. I mean, also at that point, just as an aside, we had done, um, I in the documentary yeah. area, we'd done a film called Autism the Musical yeah. about autistic right. kids and you some had that other to point things. To. We had some things to point to, yeah. but still, it's you're asking a a lot from these families to trust you, yeah, and to trust you with a with a. They have created a a kind of situation for their family that works and a structure and help that they need, and you know they don't want. Uh, understandably, they were reluctant. So yes. initially, the community was not particularly trusting. So that was fascinating to yeah. talk to the parents, to talk to the. Um, the young adults with Down syndrome to make sure that we said things in the way that 
felt okay. And, you know, to finally get them on board for what turned out to be a fantastic project. But it was a, it was a long, long casting process. What was that one of the more rewarding casting processes of your career? Yes, although I find real world to be very rewarding because it's you get to actually get to know a person and then watch their story play out over many. But there's a number of ones that are very uh, rewarding. Do you keep in touch with any of the real world kids over the years? Some, but not a lot. Yeah. You know, not a lot. Right. And you also casted one of my favorite shows ever, Project Runway. Um not cast it, cast. Is there casted? No, it's it? cast. Okay, cast. I just realized that's not proper English. Um, I love that show. And I've I've been known to say cheesy things like it's a celebration of artistry, but it really is. And, you know, I think that show, I know it didn't originate with you guys, but then you've had it for the last seven or eight seasons, I yeah. think. Um, that must be fun, right? It's really fun because, <laughs> and for precisely the reason that you said, is that it really is a celebration of artistry and the people that are on that show are tend to be very scrappy, uh, kind of uh, not, you know, very purely aesthetic thoughts come from them. Right. They're artists. And they're artists. But they're also highly motivated people. So that that's what makes the competition interesting. Mm. I mean, there are people, these are people that are buying with their last dime material so that they can throw something together. They would, you know, they're not, they tend to be, we tend to have a large number of immigrants on that show. um, And we tend to have people, many first generation people. Yeah. Very, uh, people that did not come from any kind of privilege. Right. It's, 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 that's one of the wonderful things about it, actually. It feels very, um, it feels like there's a com uh, a common ground, like, like starting from ground zero. Yeah. There's no like they got an advantage because of this, or they've already been cooking for 15 years. You know, on some of those well, other right, shows. right. I mean, the thing is that it's it's also it's is very pure because you don't you just need the material and a sewing machine, and you can get to the, any the same place that everyone else can get to, and it, and we never have to think about you know we oh do we have enough you know, minority voices because it, happens, is, naturally. it happens very naturally for that show. So, I love that. so that's kind of a cool thing about that show. Okay. So let's go back then um, to, so you always, so you started in docs. That was always your thing. And you kept going back. Right. And then you got sort of deep into casting. And then, and so then you started the, did you go to, to, to the, to the owners and say, we need a documentary division. How did it come about? Um, it's funny because I look at it now and I don't exactly know how I got the chutzpah, but I did, in fact, go to my bosses and say, um, you know, documentaries are having a moment and I really think we should produce them. And I want to take that on. And that was 2006. Or I think it was seven. Okay. Or eight. And what was the moment? Like, what? I don't remember what was happening back then. I, there were like two or three documentaries that actually made a profit. I think. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> wow. And so I started looking for something that felt like sort of in the Buna Murray brand. Okay. So, you know, I was really interested in youth and something that something with this that had sort of a social impact uh, message to it. 
Not that that's really who Buna Murray was, but, you know, well, they had that's, put the that's on real message. world, real world really was a show like that. Absolutely. And, um, and you know, with Pedro having been on the first HIV positive person on a TV show and sort of breaking ground yeah. in that way. So um, a friend of mine from college had an autistic son and she was helping out these people that were trying to do this film about a group of autistic youth that put on a musical. And so I took a look at the footage. And I mean, this was a very long process, but eventually I I loved what they were doing. So we got involved. And um, it was a story of five autistic children, all of whom had sort of different levels of autism because it's a spectrum. So some of them had no language and some, and, you know, one of them was a very high functioning Asperger's kid. And um, they all, and, and it was this, their story told in the way that it was told. How can I try, how can we find it now? Is it still possible to, because I, I really want to see it. If this is a problem. Is that, I mean, it won the Emmy, it won the primetime Emmy. It was nominated for five Emmys. Incredible, yeah. And it's not streaming right now, which I have to figure out how to make it stream. Right, and okay, we'll, fig- we'll figure that out because I want to promote it too. And I really just want to see it. My my um, my cousin has, as- has Asperger's. And I remember talking to my aunt about it at the time, but somehow I missed it. Yeah, I, I mean, heard it was incredible. It's still very timely. Yeah, it's still you know it never dealt with any of the questions of like vaccines or anything. It wasn't about that. Yeah. it was about the experience of and and it dealt with the families around them too. You know, because they were kids, so their families were a big part of it. So how does that work then? So that was your first. Um, foray with with the company into the doc world. Do, do you guys then take on the funding, like a financier, and then you go to sell it to the networks? Or yes, bring it essentially. On the although um, I also raise uh, money, so I I also raise. It's it's really funny to have like these different weird jobs. That you, you do, do you have like ten jobs, but <laughs> but you know not only but I I find the projects and then I raise the money, help raise the money through foundations, and then. Buna Murray also covers a lot of the costs, both soft and hard costs. And then in terms of, do you have a well-oiled machine for distribution and marketing and all that, or is it case by case? It's case by case. Okay. You know, we've worked with a couple different, age, film, you know, indie agents yeah. that are sort of separate from the rest of the Buna Murray agenting. Yeah. Um, but this sort of, you know, they're all in New York. Right. That I know of. And, right. Um, you know, so they've all sold to different places. So I've sold two films to HBO. Wonderful. Um, Valentine Road was one. Yes. And Autism the Musical. Fantastic. So you just completed a film called They Call Us Monsters. Yes. Tell us about that. That's going to be on Netflix shortly. So people should yes. be looking for that. Tell yes. us about how that originated. What I don't really know anything about it. It's about three kids being tried as adults in the juvenile courts in Los Angeles. And the filmmaker, Ben Lear, um, who's actually Norman Lear's son, oh, came wow. to me with incredible footage that he'd shot. He had incredible access to um, this juvenile facility in Silmar. And it and these young boys, who some of were arrested, they were arrested between the ages of 14 and 16, and they had all done, they were all, you know, most likely gang members. Right. Um, uh, you know, had done some serious crimes and but they talked about their childhood they talked about uh what what led them to that and 
So it was a way to see them as human beings. It was a way to see them as human beings and a way to sort of ponder their future and to learn about their past. And what was your takeaway after working on it and sort of being immersed in that world? I think that the juvenile system needs to think about rehabilitating and not just punishing. In all of their, I mean, we're going deep and I haven't seen it yet. I'm sure I'll learn from the film. But in all of their circumstances, did you really see kind of how they sort of turned into, I mean, did you go back to their families and see sort of the evolution of how it be, how they came you, to be where they were? Some of that, yes, some of that is quite obvious in the film that they came from, you know, tremendous dysfunction and poverty. And some of it is, you know, not everyone turns that direction with that kind of background. Right. So Nature, nurture. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I don't think that these, and it, and it, this, the film makes this clear also, I don't think that the kids deserve to be on the street after what they did or after what they are accused of. Right. And, but they, but they also deserve, uh, they don't, deserve to be locked up for the rest of their life for something they did at 14, but they definitely need to be rehabilitated. And I would say that one thing I felt very, very strongly about with this film is that we hear from a victim, too. So that is also part of the film. So it you know, looks at both sides of the story. It sounds, it sounds wonderful. So with that one, did you complete it and then bring it to PBS, or was it done in conjunction with them? No, we all of them so far have been completed okay. and then like gone to different festivals. I, you know, one went to Sundance, Valentine went to Sundance, yeah. um, and was in the documentary competition. Autism was at Tribeca. Um, and when you're working on them, I mean, you've obviously had success, a lot of success. Do you kind of know know it when you see it? You know what I mean? In terms of like, this is going to be something special? I hope so. But, you know, you never know. <laughs> right. And, Have you worked and, on a few bombs? <laughs> I haven't worked on anything that I consider a bomb, but we did work on one film, which I think is so fantastic. It's called Shadow Billionaire, and it was it's the story of um, this guy who started DHL, Hillbloom. DHL was like it was like a, a the FedEx type. Yeah, yes, exactly. Does it still exist? It does, but it's mostly in Europe. Okay. Um, once in a while, I see a DHL truck yeah, in the United States. I remember. States. But yeah, that was like right. a thing back so then. So he was a crazy, brilliant guy from Berkeley who okay. who's, uh, who started this company, moved his headquarters to Saipan, which is in yeah. the South Pacific. You know, It's an American territory. Exactly. Yeah, I did a duck on it way back when. Right. Yeah. So, so um, he was able to sort of run his business as an American business, mm-hmm. but with way fewer laws. Yeah. And he had a pension also for young virgins so he the long and the short of it is that he you know ran this business in this crazy crazy way loved the bar girls of the philippines and that area and um died mysteriously in a plane crash in his single engine cessna which fell into the marianas trench which is the deepest water on earth um, was he piloting be, it? He was piloting. So just no, him alone. No, I think there was a pilot. Okay. And um, but he did not properly maintain. He was he was a billionaire. Okay. One of the early billionaires. Right. And when and did when did his plane go down? How? What year was that? This was about eighteen twenty oh, wow. years twenty years ago. Oh, okay. And when it went down, he left his his all his money was to be left to um, UCLA Medical 
uh, uh, research, okay. except if, if there were errors. Well, 20 minutes after his death certificate was finished, every <laughs> prostitute in Southeast Asia came forward saying that he had fathered their child. Wow. What a story. Were they anyway, able to prove it? I won't tell you the end. Oh, I'm dying to see it. But it's called Shadow Billionaire. I think okay. it's on Netflix. But that it, that came out in a time right during the recession. Mm. And no one really wanted to see a film about... Um, see, now I think... Oh, interesting. Yeah. So no one really wanted to see a film about oh, that dude. story. Because <laughs> that... I could feel like there would be a lot of interest in that now, though. Now, if it had... Different right, time. If we'd done it now, it would have been great. We love great. hearing about horrible billionaires yeah. now because yes. we have one running the country. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we seem to slip politics into these. I don't know how that happens. Um, so I'm curious. You know, I interviewed... I don't know if you guys... You know, um, the guys at IPC, Eli Holzman and Aaron Sedman. Um, Eli actually helped create Project Runway back in the day at the Weinstein uh, Company. Um, I don't actually they did, they're, they're great guys. You should meet them at some point. They did a documentary called The 7-5, and it was about this precinct, in, the most corrupt precinct in New York in the 80s. And all the cops were on the take. It was pretty amazing, and it aired on Showtime, and I think it might be on Netflix now. But what, I, what I'm getting at with the question is that um, when they made it, which was, I don't know, three or four years ago, you know, it was a doc, and they were making it as a doc. Um, and it was actually funded by one of the undercover bosses because they did that show for CBS. Um, but now in the time that we're in, in the last year and a half, let's say, they realize, you know, they could have easily sold it as a series because it would have it had so many elements yes. and side stories that they weren't able to tell because of, you know, it's a feature doc. Yes, that is so true. And now is, this is the moment for those complicated stories. And so when you get in a doc, you know, with that wearing that hat, are there t are there times where you say like this is actually a series? This is way more than just a doc. I mean, I would love to find a doc that is actually a series. <laughs> right now, the ones that I'm working on, um, and I have a few, are that none of them feel quite like series yet. Okay. But I but those kinds of ones with twists and turns and legal implications are perfect for a series. Yeah, it's it's interesting how different a time it is where you can do that deep dive. You know, where, like the keepers on Netflix. That we knew about it, long story, but that was supposed to be a feature doc. And it's interesting that it turned yeah. into an eight parter. No, now, now, if if you find a story with all those, it used to be you, were, you would sit in the cutting room and just cry because you'd have to take out these great <laughs> right, moments. Right. Like, oh, that's such an interesting story. Oh, and yeah. that's such an interesting right. story. There's but no then, you, you know, but you had to, it was 90 minutes, 90 minutes, 90 minutes. So n now you don't have to think that way. And that's kind of yeah. great if you have the right story, but not every story deserves to right. be eight parts. Right. And I'll have a lot of stuff brought to me from producers that will be brought as a series. And, I, and I'll say it, it's a doc. Yeah. You know, I, I, yeah. I see what there's no way this could fill even three hours. Like right. this is a doc and I probably I know that's going to be a harder road for you, but yeah. you're not going to sell this as a series. I mean, I just think you don't want to do something that feels like it has filler. Absolutely. And I think audiences are pretty savvy about that. Big time. I mean, if they're going to go deep diving with you, they want lots of substance. Yeah. They need to be held. They need to be held. Now, are you a huge documentary watcher yourself? Yes, I love documentaries. And what are some of your favorite ones? <laughs> I know, I'm putting you on the spot. I mean, of course, I always will love the ones that I saw very early on, like The Thin Blue Line, yes. because it those documentaries really, um, you know, they really play with um, genre. And they, you know, I like, I like some recreations. I yeah. like, 
I mean, anything with a really good story or anything that takes you into a world that you've never. Right. A unique story. Yeah. I mean, there's and there's a there's I think this is an amazing time for documentaries and you can really. And, and the other thing is. It used to be kind of hard to watch them. You'd have to like go to a theater, <laughs> right? And now you can just sit in your bed. I know. And watch any time of day, anywhere, and you can discover so many that maybe you know, right? You wouldn't have caught at you know the the local art house. And also, I think it's a time when there's a lot of crossover between reality and documentaries and other things, and I really appreciate that. I think it's it's I I love. Um, the idea of playing with that form and playing with what is reality and what isn't reality. I mean, especially right now when we're into this sort of alternative facts era, <laughs> I think we you can look at, you know, everyone believes what they believe, but is it really, you know, there? you can look at something from many different angles. That just reminded me of, of an amazing documentary that played with that whole thing. It was... Um... Was it's it's old? It's probably like six years old. About that that family that lost their little boy, and then that guy, the imposter. Did you see that? Yes. Wasn't that incredible? Yes. The, Talk yeah. about playing I mean, with yeah. facts and your and what you think is real and not. Yeah. And and what was the name of the documentary about the guy whose father may have been a molester? Oh, capturing the Freedmen. Capturing the Freedmen. Oh, God, yeah. You know, I'm going old school here. Yeah, but, yeah, no, one but, of my favorite but, uh, docs. But yeah. I mean that Andrew Durecki, who did the Jinx, did that. Right. Yeah. I mean, really, what is real and what is not yeah. real, and I and I think that's fascinating because um, everybody views things differently. Absolutely, yeah, definitely in this day and age. So I'm so curious how you balance these two ma- major roles because it would seem that head of casting would be all-encompassing and then head of the documentary unit would be all-encompassing. How do you go back and forth, like, practically? Well, yeah, no, I mean, the thing about... Do you have clones? <laughs> I mean, they. I try to just balance it so that I'm always there for the key parts of the casting, Yeah. you know, so that I'm there. And, and also, I am a... I am an incredible watcher. Like, I love to... I pretty much watch everyone that gets... You know, I watch everything. And you I, never get bored. Like a boring interview won't bore you. Yes, yeah, sir. Okay. No, it's not to get bored, but <laughs> okay. like you, but know, you will watch it. I'll watch. I don't watch. First of all, I do. I think it's important for my for. I have a lot of people that work and train in casting, mm-hmm. and they get. I like to give them feedback on their That's interviews. Great. Yeah. And um, when I was working on, they call us monsters. I would just set aside like two afternoons a week to go to the cutting room, mm-hmm. and. You know, they didn't really need me much more than that. But you I mean, wanted to be involved. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and but and and uh, you know, I want to be involved. I want to make sure that it's something that we're all proud of. I want to make sure that m- my voice, you know, that that I think we're doing something that's fair and something yeah. that's as good as it can possibly be. Um, raising money is definitely hard and not my favorite thing. I don't think it's anyone's favorite thing. But the worst. but I believe very strongly in the voice in the documentaries that we do. And I generally pick documentaries that otherwise might might not get made. I love that. Um that's I mean I think that's also very special in our business. I don't know Maybe it's my naivete, but I don't think I know many pr- traditional production companies that have doc units. No, I mean, are there any? No, <laughs> I don't think so. Wow! And we just made it up. Yeah, like exactly. I made it up. That's how you create things. I mean, it just seemed like a good idea at the time. Yeah, and um, I'm, you know, and I, I think I would have been 
um, a little frustrated if I wasn't doing something else. You had to you had to have um, that outlet. Yeah, I mean, you know, I and I like to be, I like to go into different worlds, and I'm, you know, I have a fidgety mind. Yeah, I think that defines a lot of us. I think that's when people, I don't know about you, when people ask why did you get into this, I said because I liked everything and I couldn't just pick one thing. So right. to be able to sit, you know, and watch. You know, an anthrop like a, a gold digger one day, and uh, not a not a female gold, but you know, literally someone digging for gold, yeah. and then the next day a designer, and then the next day a kid trying to live in a house with other people. I mean, I love that diversity. Yeah, and I mean, I, it's funny because a number of years ago, a friend of mine said to me, "Oh yeah, you were the first one that sold out." Because <laughs> how dare she? <laughs> because I, you know, did reality and yeah. did and but I feel. I don't feel that way. Like I try and do things I want to do, right? As much as possible. I mean, you can't always do that. Yeah, yeah. I was going to actually ask you that question. Do you? I mean, because you probably don't. You don't always have a choice, right? Like a show will come your way. Yeah. It's gotten sold. You got a series, and now you have to cast it, right? Do you ever? And you don't have to name names of shows, but do you ever have that experience where you sort of roll your eyes and go, "This would not be a show I'd want to do"? Yeah, of course. But then you try and find interesting things that yeah. you can add to that like right. can we stretch the envelope over here can mm -hmm. we cast a person that's you know different in yeah. some ways can yeah. we can we you know can i make it i mean I, it's, sometimes it's a game you play with yourself to make yourself be interested in what you're doing but you know talk the thing about casting is that you're always talking to a different person mm -hmm. so that keeps it interesting i mean it's not like two people are ever the same they're like snowflakes. <laughs> yeah. yeah well, just ask that generation. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, well, it's interesting. And you said that, and I was thinking, and, and you said it, that, you know, now you are sort of a guru to people that are coming up in your department and are coming through and you're sort of training them. I, this is probably not a fair question, but if you had to give sort of the one top tip for casting that you could impart on people that are either wanting to get into it or that you train or maybe there's three like what what are the things that sort of are paramount to you I think I there's something that I view differently than a lot of people that do casting because because I'm on staff at Buner Murray and that I if I cast a show and it goes on the air and the cast is not what I presented them as I'm going to hear about it right, right but a lot of I think casting is also is just by the nature of presenting to networks and presenting producers, you you package people. And you're like, this is, you know, the villain. This is the this. This is the this. And I really want my, I really want my casting directors not to do that, not to put people in a box, but to find out who they really are and how they're really, really going to act. So I always steer them away from those kind of questions, which they have learned because they're going to edit a reel and they need something I want to know who that person really is. Yeah. Like if if they really believe this, I want to know that. If yeah. they're, you know, avid Trump supporter, I want to know that. Yeah. If they're, you know, sc scared or not going to open up completely, I would want to know that now, not, you know, five episodes in. Right. Yeah. No, it's that makes a lot of sense. That's good advice, too. So I do my stock questions at the end of every interview. The first one is, um, what's your proudest professional accomplishment? Because when I say proudest accomplishment, everyone usually says their kids if they have them, which mm -hmm. I hope probably would be yours too. But if you had to stick to the professional. Um, I think 
creating the documentary division at Buna Marie and having it be a success because it was kind of there there was no road paved for me to yeah, do that right. and it, I kind of made it up as I went along and keeping it you know keeping it going like that there's twists and turns and you have to figure it out incredible do you have any regrets that's so interesting i mean i like that you're taking that means probably not i don't think i have any big regrets but i think i would have maybe taken it all a little less seriously and maybe spent a little more time with my family. <laughs> Remember them? It's hard, right? I yeah. mean, you know, I don't usually end up having this sort of work-life balance conversation with men because I think it's just a different animal with them. But I think it is a real thing, you know, that you love what you do and you love your family and it's 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 tough to balance. Yeah, I think it really it's sort is. Of the age-old conundrum. Yeah, and you you know, I had a huge sense of never wanting to disappoint anyone. Right. Well, that's the problem. And then lastly, we sort of talked about this, but um in the rain in the realm of documentary, but do you have sort of like a top three unscripted shows that you like watching, reality shows, other than maybe the ones that you produce or that you cast? Um, I mean, I still love watching Runway. Uh do you so, watch it every week? Uh, I I I watch it all. I don't necessarily watch it every week. Right. <laughs> right. It gets seen. Um, I loved the jinx. I, it was so good. just mesmerizing. Um, you know, there was something about it that you just couldn't stop watching. Um, now, did you watch it? I watched it in real time. So I didn't know, you know, because if you, spoiler alert, if you were watching the news, you saw sort of what was real. But I, w I don't know about you. I didn't know. Wasn't that incredible? Yeah, I didn't know. I mean. And I still don't know. Because <laughs> right. just because he said it, he's a maniac. Right, who knows? So who knows? What? But I mean, to have that kind of access to that kind of person who is, you know, a crazy person, but fascinating. Yeah. So, yeah, I couldn't, is I couldn't You just summed that. him up pretty well. That was incredible television. Um, okay, that's, is that two? Oh, did I only do two? Let's yeah. see. I mean, I I I watch so much, right. but um, you know, I guilty. Do you have a guilty pleasure one? A guilty pleasure. You know, one. like mine would be Housewives because I don't really feel good about it, but I love them. Um, <laughs> maybe um, the uh, the the one on the boat. Oh, uh, uh, up, um, uh, upstairs downstairs. Yeah, on it the is boat. upstairs. Down, um, <laughs> why am I spacing on the? I wanted to say all aboard, but it's not. It's, oh. oh, my God. I'm the Below deck. Was, Below deck. Thank you. Oh, yeah. That's my guilty pleasure. <laughs> I love it. I mean, everyone has to have some bravo well in their life. It is. Right. I'm sure that's what you're looking at, right? Well, I mean, it's one of the <laughs> things, but, you know. Do you ever watch a show and think, oh, the casting's horrendous? Yes. <laughs> you want to call them up and go, do you guys yeah. need my services? It's just sometimes I think, but, you know, casting goes through a process because right. the, network the network executives have to agree and the producers generally are involved to some extent. So, you know, who knows where it went wrong, but sometimes I think they probably just don't spend enough time or money to find the right people. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the network because we didn't talk about that earlier because that is a big part of the process. So when do you, um, when do you know when to sort of push it and when do you... I mean, do you ever really go to bat? Yes. And 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 then how do you know sort of which battles to fight? Because, right, you can't go to bat for every single person on every show. Yeah, I mean, generally, the net, very often the network is pretty much in agreement. If you are, you know, if you 
say, look, this these are my reasons why I think this person is better than this person. Yeah. Um, so, but, but, yeah, you generally can't push for more than one or two people. So, yeah, you have to choose your battles, and every network is different. And then, you know, there's a show like Project Runway where we've been doing it for years right, and years so and well years and years. So, they, you know, our thoughts are very, are taken into very serious consideration. And then if you're doing the first season of something, then everyone's really nervous. <laughs> and All hands on deck. All hands on deck. And then there's a lot of opinions. Right. So it's harder. Right. That's a really good point. And what are your, this isn't a stock question, but it just sort of an, evolved in our conversation. What what are your goals for your career for the next 10 years or so? Have, do you think about that? Or are you sort of just um, day by day? I want to do more documentaries. Um, and, you know, I, I work in a company that's evolved and grown a lot. So it's going to be interesting to see if it evolves and grow, how it evolves and grows in the next couple of years. And, yeah. Um, new outlets, new ways to do things. Yeah. And I think as documentaries become more and more mainstream and watched by people and I think it's I there may be ways to do that even more or the ways to do series. I mean, I'd love to do a series. Um, they say that millennials are interested in this deep dive, which is fantastic because, of course, a, a lot of the other news they're getting is are in tweets and, right. you know, on Facebook feeds. Right. And, and I think uh, documentaries can serve a purpose and so can reality of getting you out of the rut that you're in of only hearing of the echo chamber of only hearing the voices that you have chosen to hear. Oh, I like that. That's a perfect way to end this. Sasha, you're wonderful to speak to. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you.